Good morning. It's Pastor Mike Letterman with Christ-Lives.org. We're going to continue this morning in our lesson series on the final countdown with Revelation chapter 8. As this lesson unfolds, we're continuing to watch as the events of the book of Revelation unfold. We've already witnessed the end of the church age, which will culminate in the rapture of the church, Revelation 4.1. We've watched as heaven worships God and the Lamb for who they are and what they've done and for what they will do, Revelations 4.5. We've seen the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, take the seven-sealed scroll from the hand of his Father, and we have watched as he began the process of breaking the seven seals, Revelation 6. As he did, the earth was engulfed in horror after another after another as the judgments of God began to fall on sinful men. We also studied the events of Revelation 7, where there were 144,000 Jewish evangelists saved. They're sealed and they're being sent out to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations of the world. As they preached, a vast multitude was saved out of the great tribulation and washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb. This redeemed multitude is pictured healthy and whole in heaven in the presence of the Lamb and of the Father. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. This brings us to our study for this text. Let's read from the Word of God beginning in Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it upon the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky over a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the, sky, the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. You see here in verse 1, the seventh seal has been broken by the Lord Jesus. 
When he breaks this seal, seven trumpet judgments are unleashed upon the earth. If you think things have been horrible so far, you're right. But the worst is yet to come. Today, we're going to watch as the first of the four trumpet judgments are sounded against the earth. We're going to see things go from bad to worse for those who will be living on the earth during the Great Tribulation. Allow me to share with you the observations offered in this passage as I preach on the subject, When Heaven Falls Silent. There's silence in heaven. John describes a scene that must be a first in heaven. Absolute silence reigns there for one half an hour. Chapters 4, 5, and 7 all describe heaven as a place of worship, praise, joy, and song. Heaven is described as a place alive with noise. It is pictured as a place that literally throbs with the excitement of its inhabitants. Yet we're told there is silence in that land of praise for about half an hour. The beast and the elders are silent. The angels and the redeemed multitudes have neither shouts of praise nor songs of joy to offer up. There's no divine pronouncement from the throne. Heaven sits in total silence, waiting for what is to happen. You know, silence is a powerful thing. You can be asleep in a service, but the preacher falls silent and you'll snap to attention. The silence at the beginning of a wedding lets you know that the time has come. Silence can also be nerve-shattering. Have you ever been listening to the radio and suddenly there's silence? You immediately wonder what happened at the station, don't you? Imagine you've asked your girlfriend to marry you and she just sits in silence for 30 minutes. Imagine you've been accused of a crime and the jury has come back with your verdict. You're standing before the judge waiting for him to read it to you and for 30 minutes he just sits there in silence. You know, one of the things I was taught by an old friend of mine in business is that in the middle of contract negotiation, there's silence. And the one that speaks first is the one that loses. What we're seeing in this verse is the lull before the storm. The judgment of God is about to fall on the earth and heaven has 30 minutes of silence before the judgments commence. Earth will not hear the Lord's voice, nor will they acknowledge him at all. They rush on in their sins, living their vain lives on earth, all the while ignoring the God of heaven. The inhabitants of heaven, on the other hand, understand what God is about to do, and they fall silent in, his, in awe at his presence and his power, and perhaps in sadness for the inhabitants of the earth. Here on earth, we often see people call for a moment of silence in the aftermath of tragic events. We saw that after 9-11. We do it after the event because we have no way of knowing what tragedy will strike. Heaven, on the other hand, calls for a moment of silence before the event. Heaven knows tra tragedy is about to strike, and heaven falls silent in the face of impending judgment. See, there's a service at the altar. There's involved preparations. Seven angels are pictured standing before God, ready to do his bidding. By the way, these angels present a good lesson for us. We should also stand ready to do our Lord's bidding. In a day when people are concerned about 
education, wealth, health, and a host of other things they think they need to serve God, the greatest ability is still availability. The Lord is looking for people with a heart like that which Isaiah possessed. He's looking for people who will say, here am I, we ask, who shall we send? Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. These seven angels are given seven trumpets. These seven trumpets are going to be used to send judgment upon the earth. Trumpets, as you know, figured heavily in the lives of the ancient Jews. Numbers 10, verses 1 through 12, tells us that two silver trumpets were to be used to notify the children of Israel that events were about to occur. A certain blast was used to assemble all the people. Another was used to assemble just the heads of the tribes. A certain sound was used just to tell the people when it was time to break camp and march. Another alerted them when there was a war. There was a certain sound that was to be made for each event. That is why Paul said, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? 1 Corinthians 14.8 So trumpets are very important to the people of Israel. God's people are listening for trumpets. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. Trumpets are a big part of our future too. Think with me for a minute about an event that occurred in the history of ancient Israel involving the use of trumpets. You'll find that text in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. The Israelites marched around, marched around Jericho once each day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. Notice the number seven. As they marched, they sounded their trumpets. Well, you know what happened. On the seventh day, after the seventh lap, they blew their trumpets and shouted, and the walls of Jericho fell flat. There is coming a day during the tribulation when heaven will sound its trumpets against the rebellious earth, and the walls of rebellion that have been erected against holy God by sinful man will fall before his unstoppable wrath. These trumpets are war trumpets and they're used to sound the attack. When God attacks the earth in his wrath, no one will be able to repel his advance. It involved prayer. Another angel takes a censer filled with incense. He takes the incense and offers it along with the prayers of the saints on the altar before God. The smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints ascend together into the very presence of God. These are mysterious verses, but they do have a couple of lessons to teach us today. The prayers of the saints are kept by God. As our prayers leave our hearts and lips to ascend to the throne of grace, they're not just sent out on, in, 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 into the world to disappear forever. These verses show us that God holds on to our prayers and keeps them in his presence. You see, some prayers cannot be answered when we pray them. The time is not right. His time, however, in his time they will be answered, and we see these in these verses. The prayers of your parents, the prayers of your grandparents, the prayers of your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, all those appear before the throne of God. And you're reaping the benefit of some of those prayers today. The prayers of the saints are answered by God. I am convinced that we're seeing the prayers of the saints under the altar as well. And they're answered in these verses. I'm also convinced that the prayers of God's people down through the ages are being answered here as well. For 2,000 years, God's people have prayed, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Those prayers are about to be answered. For thousands of years, the people of God have asked him to demonstrate his power, avenge his name, and get glory over sin and sinners. Those prayers are about to be answered. They've been kept. They're mingled with the fire of the finished work of Christ from the altar. They ascend up before God and they will be answered. The prayers of the saints have power with God. Here are prayers that have been heard, preserved, and answered in God's time. I've had problems in the area of prayer. I have been saved for many years, but there are times I still feel as incompetent in my prayer life as I did when I first began to pray. You see, there are no PhDs in prayer. There are no experts in prayer. We may struggle in the arena of prayer, but if we're saved, we have power with God in prayer. Ephesians 5.2 says that, God's, that Christ's refinished redemptive work is a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. When we pray in Jesus' name, our prayers mingle with his finished work and rise up before God as a sweet-smelling offering. It is an offering that he accepts and blesses for his glory. Our prayers are sent up to God on the basis of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God hears us when we pray. There is power in the prayer of the saints of God. Think about it. We have an advocate in heaven. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. An advocate is a lawyer. We have one pleading our cause in heaven. But wait, we have an advocate in our hearts. John 14, 6 uses the word comforter to refer to the Holy Ghost. It's the same word translated advocate in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We have one member of the Godhead pleading our case in heaven. We have one member of the Godhead pleading God's cause to our hearts. That's why you and I have power in our prayer. Our praying may seem weak and ineffective at times, but by the time our prayers arrive in glory, they're not in the same form as they were when they left our feeble lips. The Spirit of God takes them and offers them up to the Lord Jesus who takes them and offers them up to God. When he hears our prayers, they are a powerful force that he uses for his glory. The most powerful people in this world are not political movers and shakers, despite what our present government would have you believe. The most powerful people in this world are not kings, queens, dictators, presidents, and generals. The most powerful people are not celebrities and the wealthy. The most powerful people in this world are widows, women, men, children, the poverty-stricken, and those who believe in the God of heaven and call out to him by faith. So pray, Christian, pray as you do your Prayers are mingled with the finished work of Jesus and you have power with God. There's more power in your prayers than you could have ever imagined. It involved premonitions. The angel takes the censer and fills it with fire from the altar and he hurls this onto the earth. When he does, there are sounds from the earth. 
These sounds are the premonition of the upheavals that are coming upon the earth. Did you notice that the same fire that caused the incense and prayer to rise up also causes the judgment to come down? As Dr. Jerry Vines once said, judgment is merely the opposite side of rejected love. Men have rejected God's love, his grace, and the gift of his darling son, and there's nothing left for them but the undiluted wrath and judgment of an offended God. That is why we're about to see as these trumpets are sounded and judgment falls upon the earth. There's suffering on the earth. Verse 6 tells us that the angels take their places and prepare to sound their trumpets. As they do, we're about to see one horror after another visited upon the earth and her inhabitants. First, there's the trumpet of devastation. The first trumpet brings hell and fire mingled with blood. This may be a description of hell falling from the skies, mingling with lava and volcanic eruptions. The blood might be that of men and animals killed in the cataclysm, or it could be it could refer to contaminated water droplets that have the appearance of God, a blood from God. Whatever the nature of this judgment, the storm of wrath falls upon the earth and burns up one-third of all the trees on the earth along with all the grass. As a result of this ju judgment, oxygen levels plummet and the quality of breathable air suffers greatly. America has already denuded our country to the point that we only produce some 60% of the oxygen that, that we consume. The word trees here speaks of fruit trees. Wheat, which is used to produce bread, is a type of grass. Grass is used to graze livestock. This judgment will have a tremendous impact worldwide on food supplies. Here we have a time of great geological, ecological, and economic disaster. Then the second trumpet is the trumpet of destruction. When the second trumpet sounds, a fiery mountain is seen falling into the sea. One-third of the sea is contaminated. One-third of all marine life dies, and one-third of all human ships are destroyed. This could be a description of a meteor falling out of space and hitting the oceans. If that were to happen, it could easily destroy one-third of all the life on Earth. It would contaminate the oceans with dead, rotting bodies of marine life. It would also trigger massive tidal waves that would sink great numbers of ships. Their rusting hulks would choke out shipping lanes and hinder the movements of man and materials. You know, mankind is very dependent upon the resources he retrieves from the sea. When the oceans are taken away as a source of life and livelihood, men will suffer from hunger and economic disaster. Note that verses in 7 and 8 both mention blood. Blood will fall from the skies and the seas will be turned to blood. You know, I think when I read this, I think perhaps God is sending man a clear message. Man has rejected the blood of Jesus as the sole means of salvation. God placed the blood before their eyes as a constant reminder that nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away the stains of sin. Then there's the trumpet of death. Another object falls from heaven. It may be a comet since it's described as having a tail. It falls upon the fountains of fresh waters and causes them to become poisoned. The word wormwood translates the Greek word obstentos. It means bitterness. 
It refers to a plant whose leaves are used to manufacture a certain drink. The drink is called absinthe. This alcoholic beverage is so toxic that it's banned in many countries. One third of the sweet fresh waters of the earth are poisoned and many die from drinking these tainted waters. Some think that the site of Chernobyl depicts part of this biblical prophecy. Because in the town center of Chernobyl, there's the Wormwood Star Memorial that depicts an angel blowing a trumpet. I disagree. This event has not occurred yet, but it will happen. There's currently no star or comet that bears the name Wormwood. Yet Revelation is not the only place that Wormwood is mentioned in the Bible. Consider these of several places. Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 5. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to the death, and her steps follow the path to Sheol. Jeremiah 9.15 Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous waters to drink. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 4 But in the end she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 19 Remember my afflictions my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. It's obvious to me that wormwood refers to the end result of the calamity, not the object thereof. Then there's the trumpet of darkness. When the fourth trumpet sounds, God turns down the power of the moon, the sun, and the stars. The power is reduced by one-third. They are dimmed, and they do shine, but not as bright, nor do they shine as long as they used to. This could be a result of all the ash and debris from the earlier judgments, or this could just be the supernatural hand of God. However, the results are the same. The earth is plunged into darkness as the sun, moons, and stars refuse to give their light. This will affect growing seasons, weather patterns, plant life, temperatures on the earth, and mankind's physical and emotional health. The trumpet will take a great toll on humanity. See, since the beginning of time, man has taken God for granted. Man has ignored him, blasphemed him, and lived as though he did not exist. Man has also taken God's creation for granted. There have always been plenty of trees and green grass. There's always been plenty of oxygen to breathe. The sea has always been there and has always yielded its bounty to man as he traveled and fished its waters. There's always been plenty of fresh water to drink. Just go to the faucet or the water fountain and turn it on. The sun, moon, and stars have always been in their places and they've always given their light. During the tribulation, God will take away what man has always taken for granted. Man will be judged for his refusal to bow before God and to acknowledge his lordship. There's a testimony of doom. This chapter closes with an angel flying through heaven, pronouncing woes, further woes upon the earth. Things are bad, but not as bad as they will become. The worst part of the tribulation still lies ahead. You know, if you've never been saved, this would be a good time to do something about that. If you have been saved, this would be a good time to rejoice that you're going to miss these events. You know, 
we look at Revelation and we think, how could this ever happen? It will happen just as God says it will. There's some verses I want to share as I work towards closing this message today. The first is Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 22 and 33. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him as overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am the Lord. God will prove his glory in the day of his judgment. He will do the things we've read in these verses just to show man who God is. Another passage is Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. When Jesus says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. You see, even in Matthew, before his death, Jesus is describing the very events that we have read about today. I want you to look at the last phrase, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. I've translated some of this from the original Greek as best as I can, and the word powers seems to come from word dynamis. Dynamis gives us the word dynamite. It means inherit explosive power. The word heaven comes from the word ruanos, which gives us the word uranium. And the word shaken means to set off balance. Now without trying to change what the scripture says, but looking at it this way, it reads, and the powers of uranium shall be set off balance. When God created the universe, he built within the tiniest part of this universe, the atom, and the components of the atom, with the very power to destroy this universe. When man learned to split the atom, he unleashed the most powerful and destructive force in existence today. Mankind possesses the power to literally destroy the world. Could it be that God will use a nuclear explosion to accomplish some of these things? I don't know. But I do know that he's built the potential into every atom in this universe. Everything around you, from the air you breathe, to the chairs upon which you sit, can become an instrument of destruction. Now, there's a lot more I could say about this, but the bottom line is judgment is coming upon this earth and upon all those who refuse to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The best thing you can do today is to be saved by His grace and be ready to meet Him when He comes so He can avoid the tragedies that are coming. I'd like to ask you some questions today. Are you saved? Are you? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I need you to really examine your heart because if you haven't, there is no time like the present and we are marching down toward a final countdown. If you've accepted Christ but you're not living in His will, you're living outside the will of God, 
And today's a great time to come back to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I've not lived for you. I've not done the things that you asked me to do, but God, I'm going to turn my life around. I accepted you when I was young. I want to follow you now. There's no time like the present. If you can, bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for all those in the sound of my voice, Father, that they've heard your lesson preached today. I pray, God, that I have delivered it in the way that you wanted me to deliver it. Father, if there are those out there that have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, I ask you to place on them a sense of urgency that they cannot, cannot look to push to one side, Father. I pray that you would place on them a burden so heavy that they will come to you today. Father, if those there are those out there that have accepted you, Lord, but have 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 placed something between you and them, Father, I ask that they'll make it right today, Lord. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I love you and I praise your holy name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. If there be anyone out there that made a decision today, I'd like to know about it. We have a number of people that have sent messages to Christ ministry at christ-lives.org. Some people have requested prayer. We're doing our best to take care of those needs for them. If you request prayer, I promise you will be held in the strictest confidence. You don't even have to give your name because God knows who you are. If you'd like to send us an email, send it to ministry at christ-lives.org or visit our contact page at www.christ-lives.org and click on contact. I thank you so much for your time and attention today. I, I praise God and I wish his blessings upon all of you. Amen.